Father, we just thank you for this night, and we praise you and give you honor and glory for what's already taken place for our time of prayer. We ask that you would make this study a, uh, a benefit to all the hearers, that you would anoint David and anyone else who shares, Lord, that you would give us more and more insight of who you are and how we are your your bride, and we just give you all glory and honor for that, and you show us mighty name. Amen. Amen. So... Braiding the elements apparently to come out tonight, so we'll have a we'll have an intimate discussion here about, uh, ironically, a wedding and uh, marriage. And the chapter in the book is on the the Jewish, you know, wedding, the event, the ceremony, what have you. But uh, in looking at this, there's really no way to look at just. I mean, you could just look at a wedding ceremony, but but the the different elements and the different things that are talked about when it comes to the, the Jewish wedding naturally touch into so many so many different more larger sort of encompassing topic specifically uh, you know relationships men and women children um, divorce that ends up being a big question uh, in, when we talk about the wedding too so I think it's difficult to just talk about the ceremony itself without talking about the larger picture of all these things and how these things are viewed, certainly in, in Judaism, um, but some of the elements and some of the things, it's not as if you're going to say, wow, that's completely foreign, I've never heard that, we don't see that in the, you know, non-Jewish weddings, a lot of the things are, are, are similar as well, um, but then there are some very specific elements to a Jewish wedding themselves, but again, I think we need to talk about at least the larger picture as well, larger picture. One of the, um, I put a lot of things in your notes, some we may talk about, some we may not. Um, some of the things that Kasdan deals with a lot of the specifics, and we'll talk about some of those. Some of it may be a repeat if you have read the chapter. Um, one of the things I wanted to start off with when talking about, um, in terms of the wedding and, and Jewish, Jewish wedding and marriage, is that unlike, for instance, Catholicism, which I don't know a lot about, um, that... Uh, there's no asceticism in Judaism when it comes to, specifically when it comes to marriage and family. Okay? What I mean by that is it's not you know, it's not a virtue to remain unmarried or a virtue to not have children and so forth. These things actually are not. When when when, when you read read in, in the Tanakh about blessing and fruitfulness, I mean, it's in the context of of uh, of marriage. It's not never in the context, and you never see that it was a blessing that someone wasn't married or that it was to their credit that they did not have children. It's quite the opposite. So when I say any of these things you talk about is not to necessarily, I mean, the reality is we do see people who, who are unmarried. We do see people who are who don't have children. Um, and it's not to, to criticize or to say that that's, you know, they're accursed or what have you. It's just the reality that, that the Bible portrays, uh, and the Jewish mindset for sure portrays, marriage and family as a, as a blessed thing. Um, I'm putting notes there. The very first note there is that uh, the three wishes for a boy after Brit Milah, so Brit Milah being within the first few days, you know, a week or so after, you know, eight, eight days specifically after birth, the, the prayer for that, for that boy child is that they would live a life of Torah, a live a life of uh, good deeds, mitzvot, but also um, have a life of marriage. Life of marriage would be included in that as well. And I put there, you know, celibacy is not a, not a virtue in Judaism. You see in Leviticus, it talks about the priests will make uh, you know, sacrifices for the people, atonement for, it says in Leviticus 16, 6, there for himself and his family. It's sort of an implied and assumed that the priest would be married and have a family. These are all sort of implied things. Um, the Talmud, I said there, makes a, a point that a Jew without a wife is basically homeless. And you see a lot of this, you know, when, when you read in this, on this topic of, of marriage um, and, and the wedding and so forth, if you're not careful, it, it, it sounds very sexist in a way. When it's all this about the man taking a wife, and it almost sounds like the man, the wife is the property of the man. Um, if you look for biblical words for wedding or marriage, uh, you don't find them in, in, the, in the scripture. You find the man takes a woman, the man takes a wife that he has, and this type of thing. But certainly in it's, in Judaism, it's not it's seen the opposite. There's a, there's a, there's definitely a more complementary view towards it, regardless of how 
it might be presented even in the text. Uh, specifically, you see things, we'll get into them later, with uh, the, the, the rights for women are, are high in Judaism, and there's the ketubah, and that's a, uh, um, specifically something to put in place to protect the woman and so forth. Uh, I mentioned the other week when we talked about ketubilah, um, which was believer's immersion or immersion in, in the Jewish mind. A lot of it had to do with ritual um, purity, but when it came to a, a, a woman um, abstaining from relations with her husband, it wasn't just because, oh, the woman was unclean and she needed to be clean and she was dirty and don't touch her kind of thing. It, it was it was ritual uncleanness and also um, in an effort to for, for a man not to take the wife for granted and vice versa. So there's much more complementary um, ideas than maybe what we might see in the text, the text that we'll talk about again the the, we have a word for husband, and it's actually the word Lord, you know. <laughs> the Lord. And so if you're not careful, you might think, well, this is very sexist in scenario, but it's not true. When you look at the, the modern um, rules and things re around surrounding the marriage, it's, it's much more complementary than, than might be seen. Um, again, marriage is seen as the cornerstone and the, and the way to fulfill the one of the first commands in Scripture to be fruitful and to multiply. <coughs> And uh, some some people that, that kind of leads to another part again the, the children piece, which uh, some of you um, becoming one flesh. As there are some people that actually think well, that, that that one flesh that's the child, you know that's what that's the. And I think that's a yes. No, obviously that can't be the case because some people don't have children. <laughs> but I do think the picture of one flesh is very important for us to consider when it comes to marriage, um, because. I sort of see that as the example, you know, when a man leaves his mother, a woman leaves mother, father, I mean, a man leaves his father, mother, and becomes cleaved or joined or stuck like glue to his wife. I kind of have this picture of, of if you ever taken two pieces of paper and if you were to glue them together, like with Elmer's glue, in essence, you would have one piece of paper by the time that's dry. Are there two pieces of paper there? Yes, there are two pieces of paper there, but in essence, you've got one piece of paper in the sense that it's not meant to be separated. Could you separate it? Yeah, you could. It'd be kind of a messy endeavor. You would have maybe some... You'd rip a hole. You'd rip. You'd have one piece. Maybe you get some of it separated, but it might have some of the other paper still on it. There'd be a hole in that one. So it, it's a very powerful image of, of, of marriage in the Bible, this idea of one, of one flesh. Um, has anybody... I mean, this is a small crowd, and I know most of the people here. Uh, anyone never been to a, 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 a overt, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for. Has anyone not been to a Jewish wedding before? Anyone not been to a, a wedding where there was at least one Jewish person, there were some Jewish elements in the wedding? Has anyone ever not been to one? Everyone's been to a, to a Jewish wedding. Yeah? My dad was a musician. He played all these weddings. But okay, so was not, what should I say, spiritually aware. Gotcha. But you saw some of the stuff. Yes. What are some of the images you think of when we say Jewish wedding? Breaking the glass with the shoes. Okay. Uh, carrying around on the chairs. Uh, this kind of thing. Anything else? Sylvia, you have any, any thoughts of a Jew, when you think Jewish wedding or the one you've been to? Canopy. Canopy, the kupa. And we'll talk, we'll, I'll talk about some of those elements uh, as we go on a little further. The woman circling the husband? Uh-huh, yeah, woman circling the husband. And you'll see, when we get into this stuff, you'll see that there's like a nucleus of things like that. Like, well, oh, there's the glass, there's the chuppah, there's the thing. And then there's some other things maybe not as common that kind of as you expand out from that, that nucleus circle. And even when it comes to those two interpretations, as I kind of go through some of the interpretations and some of the symbolism but again, I know most of us are probably going to be familiar with most of those things. Um, but maybe the people listening on tape won't be, so we'll go over them anyways. We're listening to the audio. It's, you'll never find, like, okay, there's the glass that Wayne talked about. Here's the glass. Uh, this is the symbol. And here is the interpretation or the reason. <laughs> It'll be, here's the glass. And here are three or possibly sometimes four things that we think this symbolizes. And maybe there's a fifth. And then so... There's going to be all these different uh, interpretations or different reasons. Why do we do the glass? Where is that originated from? What's the chuppah signify? What is the, the is it seven times around or is it three times around? And why seven and why three? So you'll see all kinds of different reasoning for these type of things. 
So we'll get to those, because uh, those are usually the highlights of the, again, the Jewish wedding. Um, but I, I definitely wanted to start off with the idea of marriage. We could go way off, and we, we may touch on a few of the things, um, because you can't really talk about a wedding without talking about um, the marriage itself, without, without talking about children, without divorce, with all the different scenarios that might happen with, a, with the death of a spouse and, and all these kind of things and what happens there. Um, so we, we'll kind of hit these as we go through. Um, one of the first things I put on your, your list there is the uh, Shadkan. And uh, is anyone not familiar with the Shadkan or ever heard of that before? If you haven't, if you're not familiar with the term, and I'm going to look at Sylvia and Wayne a lot during this conversation because I'm sure most people, most everyone else knows these things. Uh, matchmaker. You've probably heard of a matchmaker. And if you've seen uh, Fiddler on the Roof, you know that. You may not be familiar with that term, Shadkan. Um, but that's, the, uh, that's the, 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 the way to say matchmaker. Um, what do you think about matchmaking? Anyone any thoughts or any opinions on matchmaking? Well, is it very archaic as I put in your language? It, it, it was. Uh, my grandfather uh, in 65 got tired of being alone and his, uh, his kids were not taking proper care of him. So he went to the Shatchan and said, I'm looking for a wife. This is what she needs to, to be able to do, and uh, sort of like the uh, uh, the kibbutznik saying, "I need a wife with a tractor." If yeah. uh, uh, if you uh, if if you are interested, please send picture of tractor. Yeah, <laughs> must have a boat with her own out, with outboard boat. Yeah, and so uh, my my grandmother uh, came from a poor family and. Uh, she was glad to get married, and so that that was kind of that story. So there are that still exists today. Obviously, it exists in Asian cultures as well as in the, in, in the strict Orthodox culture. And um, you know, if we had younger people in the room, I mean, not me disabled, but if you had a much younger generation, I think there's more opposition to that idea. You know, oh, man, it's such archaic. And but the reality is. Is this much different than internet dating or classifieds and things that a lot of young people even do today? And is it really, you know, is it really uh, that bad of a thing? Historically, um, when we're talking, you know, early 19th century, possibly, you know, 1900s or even 18, end of 1800s, even further back, um, actually much further back, um, Middle Ages even, there's the thought that, you know, you know Jewish mobility, the, the ability to get around, was, was limited. Well, I think I put that in your notes, too. And so uh, Shatkan actually served a very a very practical purpose of, you know, this one person getting around to different communities, different families, and so forth. They could do that a lot easier and be able to connect people that might not otherwise have met. Yes, ma'am. I was just going to say, um, talking about the younger people, however, among the younger people in the Jewish Orthodox mm. Jewish community, it's yeah. still done and still seen. Yeah. I actually know some people who are doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, you know again there's there's there's, um, there's lots of interesting things when you look at the modern day the matchmaking whether it be in the, in the, in the Orthodox community or even in, the, in, the, in other Asian cultures and Indians for example um, certainly the, the role of the shotgun was to try to match uh, I mean there are political alliances you go back biblically you see political alliances and real reasons for making these kind of matches um, but the truth is family you know when you marry someone there's a there's a family connection whether you like it or, or not. It's very important to take that into consideration. And nothing's perfect. I mean, even I'm sure there was a lot of embellishing that goes on, um, and there's embellishing that goes on nowadays with regard to how wonderful this person is, how wonderful that person is. Um, nothing, you know. The, I mean, when, when you look, when you look at the, if you, you know, online photos of people, they're not putting, you know, just when they wake up in the morning. It's probably the glamour shot. It's their best photo and everything. So there's really not a whole lot different in the sense of maybe how people, young people meet and so forth. But overall, the goal is with the shotgun or even, you know, uh, matchmaking today is for a long-term match to take place. That is the idea. Certainly, you know, you want people to, in, in some of the, I don't know if, if, if uh, I can't remember if Kasdan talks about it or not, but other sources I looked at, there's myths about, oh, they can't see each other, they won't see each other before the wedding, and that's not necessarily true. It's not a matter of you're going to marry this person, that's it, period. Now, a lo much longer ago in history, <clears throat> matches were made between children. 
And it wasn't that they were going to get married that day, but it's like, look, when these kids grow up, we, we've agreed on the family that we're going to get married. And there were, again, there were real practical reasons for that. One was just self-preservation. If you've got, you know, in the, I wrote, I think I put in the notes in the time, for instance, during, during uh, pogroms or uh, inquisition, these type of things, the fact is that maybe if we had an arrange, arrangement between these two children, these two families were in agreement that these kids are going to get married one day, and then something happened to, you know, this family over here, it was in their best interest that they had a, a marriage already arranged because now this other family can swoop in, in a sense, and have, a, have an invested interest to take care of this child. So there, there were re these are some of the, the foundations for it. That may not be so much nowadays. Obviously, there's more mobility and so forth uh, now, but the, the, the ultimate goal is the same for, for a long-term uh, long match uh, to take place. So that's, that's the, the Shad Khan, the matchmaker, is certainly is a, is a key thing we have to talk about when it comes to comes to the, uh, the Jewish um, wedding, because it is kind of unique. You don't see it a lot in, in, amongst non-ancient cultures, I would say, you know? The cultures I'm thinking about that do it are, are ancient, ancient, ancient cultures, and they, they, maybe that's for a reason. Oh, I think, I wasn't at home, you took your glasses off. I thought you were raising your hand again. So uh, I put in your notes there that, that really, when you, when you look into scripture with regard to details of the wedding, you don't see you don't see like a prescription necessarily, but I put a few references in, in your in your notes there regarding um, some of the things, the elements of of the wedding, such as the betrothal period. Like obviously we see that in the, in the New Testament as well. The big controversy they do with Joseph and Miriam, you know, they were betrothed. What does that mean? Because we don't necessarily have that that same type of thing today. In fact, um, the initial betrothal period was to be like a year. You see places in scripture where if someone has just been married, they shouldn't go off to war. They should take the next year and be with their, their spouse and so forth, their, their, their soon-to-be spouse. So there was a commitment, but there's no cohabitation, there's no consummation. That comes later, uh, after a year period. Um, and there's, there's, there's lots of uh, different um, traditions about that with regard to the, 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 the husband is to go and to prepare a home. And you know sometimes they was just adding a room onto the existing house, the paternal house, and then when it was ready, the father of that of the groom would say, let's go get the bride. She didn't really know when. There's a real picture there. When you certainly look at the New Testament scriptures, the, the virgins and their lamps, and, and to be ready when they we don't know when the, when, the, when the groom will come and so forth. <clears throat> so there's that betrothal period again, which now in the Jewish wedding, I may be skipping ahead a little bit, that's all put into one thing in the service. There's sort of that part of the service where this is the betrothal, and now we get into the, you know, the right into the consummation. Yes? Um, the betrothal. Um, I've heard... Where, like with Miriam and Joseph, um, if he were to put her away, which is a, a way for divorce, so the betrothal was really considered um, the, the first stage of marriage then. We don't have that sort of a thing. I mean, if you got engaged with somebody and you broke it up, you know. Right. Well, I think put in, I think put away in the sense that it, it wasn't full marriage. It wasn't the full consummation. Of, and by consummation, I don't mean just the the, the, the wedding night, yeah, not yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. more to it. The actual continuation of the of the you know the, of the, the greater commitment. I think putting away in the sense it was a, ser a serious commitment. Not that engagement now isn't a serious commitment. But I think it's even more serious then when you, especially when you consider the ketubah, you know, which is a marriage contract, which is also part of your notes here too. That's a very big part of the Jewish wedding is laying out, you know, this is what the husband will, will do for the wife and. If I were to die, and then all this kind of stuff. And this is at this is at the betrothal stage. It's exactly yes, because that that, that actually, if, you, if you've been to the, a Jewish wedding, and you guys have been to one where you were part of the family, um, when I go to these weddings, I've been to several. The day of the day of the wedding, we go into a little room, and all that's where all the family is, and that's where this part takes place. Right. Although they're already engaged, this is uh, symbolically the betrothal time where they're signing the ketubah. Um, and you're not supposed to have family members signing. So although I think we did, I think my family does, but the idea is supposed to have, you know, uninterested parties sign, because for us it's symbolic, and it's, it's a beautiful piece of artwork. And if you ever, see, ever seen a ketubah before, either one? It's a big ornate, if you go to Google that word tonight, marriage, Jewish wedding contract, a ketubah, you'll see ketubah.com, you'll see they sell these big, and it's written in Aramaic, and this, this is all the things that the groom, it's more symbolic now, but back then it was a big deal. Could it be considered a prenup? Exactly, it was, 100%. And was Eliezer a shotgun? Eliezer? Uh, yeah, in a sense, when you went, when you, when you look for that, when he goes and looks for, yeah. 
definitely prenuptial, but, but we think of prenuptial in the sense today of you're not going to get my stuff if something if this goes wrong, <laughs> versus prenuptial agreement in the sense of this is how I'm going I commit to care for you, and this is what I, I commit to if, if something were to happen and so forth. So very much so, that's the that's the very first thing that, that typically happens is that is that prenuptial agreement. It sounds like you're saying this is all something that the husband agrees to. What what part does the woman have in that? You know, she, it's, she doesn't it's, just receive it. Well, it's assumed. Actually, I'm trying to remember. I read something about that where there's no. I mean, she signs the tuba, but it's, it's 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 her stuff is kind of assumed that she's not the one. I mean, this, again, this sounds very sexy, but she's not the one that's going to provide for him and so forth. But it's it's very much it's very much assumed. However, when you look at Genesis 24, are you familiar with Genesis 24 verses 1 through 4? Are you all familiar with that verse? Once you once you read that, we'll read that. I think I'm skipping a little bit of, a little bit ahead here. To get past the betrothal period on the four elements. <laughs> okay. That's about for how many Twenty-four, one through four. Why don't you read that? If you have a nice question. Okay. Now Abraham was old, advanced in years. Deuteronomy. Did I say Genesis or something? You did say Genesis. I apologize. Deuteronomy twenty-four. Oh, okay. Wait. Sorry about this. <laughs> He was advanced in years, but I meant Deuteronomy. Suppose a man takes a wife and marries her. Now, if she doesn't find favor in his eyes because he has found something indecent in her, he is to write her a certificate of divorce, hand it to her, and send her out from his house. When she leaves his house, she may go and become another man's wife. Now suppose the second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce and hands it to her and she leaves his house. Or suppose the second husband who took her to be his wife dies. Then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that would be detestable before Adonai. You are not to bring guilt on the land that Adonai your God has given you as an inheritance. So now this... this passage here, I, I believe, you know, is really the big picture is what you, that's what you read at the end there and the idea that what, what, what God says to Malachi in the book of Malachi that he hates divorce um, those are his main thoughts on the matter and in the Lord's eye, divorce is abomination it's a sin, it pollutes the land um, however it's a, it, there's also this, this is a very detailed legal kind of language here and I think it goes to, the reason I, I wanted to bring it up now, I think it goes to um, what, what you're kind of what, what Sylvia's talking about there. One of the thoughts about this has to do with uh, a marriage, you know, a certificate of divorce. Now, this is mentioned, of course, in the New Testament as well. And Moses said a man could divorce a wife for any reason and so forth. That's, that's kind of off topic there. But with regard to the, the, the Jewish wedding, because I could go into you could go into looking at this and teach about you know this passage. But when it comes to the the ketubah specifically, because you were asking about what is the wife's responsibilities and so forth. And then they're sort of they're sort of assumed. There are those that believe that with this passage, one thing that it's doing is putting a protection in there for the man, specifically kind of that second man, maybe. So you know, this person marries person A. Draw it out for you. Let's see. See if I can do this. This is husband A. This is the wife. They get married. She got a pretty good ketubah. Pretty good. Uh, well, actually not. Just based on basic ketubah. Then you got wealthy man B over here. He's got really good stuff to offer. So they kind of talk. I'll tell you what. Let's split up. I'll marry this guy. I'll get the cash. Okay? Maybe we'll even have him killed. I don't know. And then we'll get back together. You know? With, with, with the loot. That's one of the thoughts as to what, what this passage might be talking about. That sounds very sinister. I can give you the references that I read, but I didn't get it from the Talmud. I know that there's more biblical comment, commentaries that I got that from. That I read that. Read that, in. that sounds. Um, but it's an interesting thing, isn't it? When you, you marry this guy specifically, it's like you cannot go back to this guy. Is that the reason for this passage? I don't believe so. I believe the real reason is yeah. that there's a pollution of sin. To, is it possible that there's something that, 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 that it would certainly cover this situation? I know, but that doesn't that, represent that's pollution. That's a, what's that? That only represents corruption. It doesn't represent pollution. Well, that's pollution. It's corruption. It's pollution. Well, yeah. <laughs> Let's figure it out. 
<laughs> but I bring it up because if you were to study this passage, it's brought up. The idea of a ketubah and this idea of historic uh, prenuptial, if you will, is brought into the equation. Sure, it's sinister. Do you think it's ever been done before in reality? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but uh, what, what percentage of people? What percentage of people have done that? You know, and, and, uh, 72 percent. Crocs. How much? 72. 0.35. I have no idea. I bring it up because it's something I came across in a study, and I thought it was interesting that you know, because if you study this passage, you, if you want to lose all your hair uh, or have all your hair turn white, do an in-depth study and figure out exactly about marriage, divorce, or remarriage. If you really want to, you know, are there things in Scripture about it? Absolutely. Are they completely like, this is an, This is the situation? This is, a, you know, there's, there's discernment of the heart. There's all kinds of things. There's a lot of depth to that topic. It's not easily, you know, well, did you cheat? Did you not cheat? Did he cheat? Did he not, did he not cheat? Can we get, it's not as simple as you might think. It's very complicated. And at some point, you back up, and you have to look at the heart of the matter. And ultimately, we know God's heart on the matter. Um, and we do our best to line up to that, that we know how God feels about marriage. And again, it's kind of a segue back to the the, uh, the details given in Scripture. They're, they're not specific with regard to the wedding ceremony itself, but God definitely talks about, I mean, not God, but the Bible talks about these elements that we do see in the Jewish wedding. The betrothal, we see uh, singing, we see feasting, certainly. And we certainly see consummation uh, of the marriage that takes place. And again, all of this now takes place in the Jewish wedding ceremony, whereas in the past there would have been a long betrothal period, maybe this, this that, and the other, um, and so forth. It, it all happens, so most of the elements, when you look at the elements, there are elements of all of that that go on in the in the ceremony itself. The betrothal and the, and the consummation all combined into one uh, at the wedding. Um, so getting into some of the elements here, um, there are two cups of wine, uh, that, that, and again, all these things I'm mentioning, you've got a nucleus of things that take place, and then periphery as to how they all happen, and even more of a periphery as to how they're all explained. So you might say, well, this is what the chuppah means, and this is what the two cups of wine mean. And then you go to a Jewish wedding, maybe there's only one cup of wine. Or maybe it were, maybe they, you know, ideally you're supposed to take that one cup of wine, and then that's the one they get smashed. Well, that wasn't the one they smashed. They had something else prepared that they smashed. And why is that? And there's all kinds of explanations as to why. And I'll touch on as many as I remember, or as many as I've written down. Um, but there's all kinds of different reasons. So, um, and not all of this takes place. Like, for example, the uh, the wedding, um, usually the groom will go and have a read from the Torah, the Shabbat before, and so forth. That's probably not happening in, in non-Orthodox type of weddings and so forth. That's probably not taking place. Um, most anybody who is traditionally Jewish is going to have uh, the bride and groom, they're going to do the ketubah ceremony and so forth. Um, the chuppah is one of the first um, images that I, that I wrote down there, which Sylvia, I think Sylvia brought up the sheet. That's the, the picture she remembers. You're going to see that in just about any Jewish wedding. Now, part of this, um, I read some places where um, it's sort of frowned upon to have a wedding ceremony inside of, a, of the temple, inside of the synagogue, with the house of prayer, because that's the house of prayer. We shouldn't have a wedding in there. Now, do weddings take place in the house of prayer? Yes, they do. But that could be one reason for the chuppah, um, explain that you know we want to have this somewhere outside, not not to not to necessarily raise prayer over the, the wedding and so or marriage and so forth, but just separation. It's not a lot of separation in Judaism, so we're going to have it outside, under God's majesty, under under the heavens, under the stars, and we have this this temporary covering which can represent all kinds of things. The ancient tent life of Israel, I mentioned there, um, uh, the idea that you know Abraham and Sarah's tent was open on all sides, and you see all these kind of explanations. Uh, it's a symbol of the the home, maybe their first home. Some will say this is a symbol of the first home that the husband and wife have together. Some will say, well, it's a symbol of the future home. It's a symbol that they have a home now. It's a covering of prayer. I mean, again, you're not going to get one explanation as to this is what the, the chuppah is. It literally means means from a, from a you know word standpoint, covering, um, and so it does represent the entering of marriage under the covering and authority of God. Um, but again, you'll see different different uh, different takes on what the chuppah uh, means, what it symbolizes, and so forth. Any any of those things, you'll see most something in that in that uh, range. The ketubah comes from the word to write. We talk about the Tanakh, so that the, the, the end of that, the 
part is writings, ketuvim, same word for writing, it's a contract. That's where we get the word contract from, the ketubah. It's a legal document, attests to the marriage. Then I mentioned, kind of jump, jumped ahead on that, where it spells out all the all the stuff there. Um, and really, this is this is a this was a, a very early on form of, of, of women's rights and protection. Quite frankly, so when you look at the if you consider the, the different things, there was very sexist and so forth. It's actually the opposite in a sense. Um, I don't know other than prenuptial agreements nowadays. I don't know any other non-Jewish weddings that have this type of thing. You know, they would only be prenuptial to protect what each party has versus to say, this is what we're going to provide. And specifically, in this case, in this society, how the woman herself will be protected should her husband die. Um, a deceased woman might, might remarry. Uh, certainly a priest was not allowed to even marry anyone who'd been married before. Um, so this is protection for a woman who would no longer have a husband. It was very, very important. So that's the, the ketubah. We, we reviewed some of that Deuteronomy 24 and so forth and the possible connections to the chuppah. Um, someone mentioned circling the groom seven times. Was that, who said that? Did I, I said it. You said that. And you know why seven or why three? The number of completion. That's one thing. Any other thoughts? But you know that's not the only answer. <laughs> There's never one answer. Jeremiah 31.22 talks about a woman shall surround a man. Some point that that, that scripture um, as, is why the woman circles. But again, the numbers, um, I think it's in Hosea three times. It says, uh, take you as a, I will take you as, as a wife or something like that, as yes. well as seven other times in scripture in general, a similar phrase is used. So that's, that's sometimes pointed to, uh, to that. You mentioned the number of completion. I put in the notes here that just as the, the world was built in seven days, the bride is figuratively building the walls of the couple's new world together. And believe me, those are three or four explanations, and I'm sure there are. <laughs> and I only read like seven books this week, and I'm sure there are more. Yes, Jen? You referenced it three times. Hmm? Is that in Hosea? That in Hosea. Not, Hosea 2, 20 and there's 21, three, I think. There's two, two verses, but three times. If you look at that. Um, yeah, but it's Hosea what? Chapter 2, verses chapter 20 two. and 21, I think. Yeah, okay. I think you're. I think you're right about that. I, I think I'll try to mention that in here. I think. But um, I have to come out with a thought that I'm saying I'm only now reading because of ah, okay. Very embarrassing. Very, very proud of you for coming out. Yeah, coming out. This full confession. <laughs> um, actually, it is. I think. I think uh, Kazan does give uh, the, the both examples of the three and the seven. I put that in my notes that Kazan does that. So three times in Hosea, there's a phrase about about you know man or woman joining, or God will, will will marry Israel or something like that, or I will marry you. What he says, Hosea, and then seven times elsewhere. It's oh yes, yeah, yeah, nineteen to twenty. Is nineteen to twenty? Yeah, Hosea two nineteen to twenty. So then you all, and, and again, if you go to a Jewish wedding, you'll see you'll see some of these elements, and you won't see some. Sometimes the circling is not always done. In fact, Chaim has a funny story. I think was it your wedding? Yep. Yeah, I, I can tell it because I, I probably, I think. Yep. Have fun. Chaim's mother, you, you come and you circle. I was actually officiating a wedding one time for a friend of mine, his daughter, and, and she, at one point, the, the, you know, the, the girl came around, she looked at me and she goes, she kind of mouthed, is that seven? And I thought, <gasps> I wasn't counting, you know? So I was like, yeah, that's I don't know if it was seven or not, they'll probably watch the video later. So Chaim's mother <laughs> is walking around with, with uh, was it your Joy? Joy and They're walking sister. Around, well, Joy says, I think after two and a half, three times, she finally just said, eh, that's enough already. Something like that. My foot is hurting. <laughs> so so oh we'll go with the three. So, so you might see all these elements. You may see just some of them sometimes at a Jewish wedding. You're probably, you're probably always going to see the chuppah. You're probably always going to see the glass. At a more culturally Jewish one, you're probably going to see the ketubah. Um, so the next one, you don't, I, don't, I haven't seen it as often. Actually, we do see it as often. If you look in the, the rabbi's uh, manual, in fact, Kazdan lists out all of these seven blessings. This is kind of after the consummation part. So the beginning is sort of the, represents the betrothal. Then when you get to the consummation, there are these seven blessings that happen. Words: Baruch Baruch They go through these seven things, and uh, I listed in your notes the different um, the themes of these blessings. Kazdan lists the specific blessings in the book too, but uh, but. You, Basically, are blessing God for the fruit of the vine, for creating a universe, for creating human beings, for creating human beings in His image, such that they can turn and create life out of this union. 
You're blessing God for his grace and his will uh, that he will make Zion joyful again. You're blessing God for making the groom and the bride joyful on this day. And you're blessing God for he who is the source of all joy. Uh, and he, you, you ask him to restore speedily the cities of Judah, the streets of Jerusalem. Joy, is, he is the one who makes the, 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 the bride and the groom rejoice. These are very traditional. They're the same all the time. They're either said right at that, that consummation time. And then we get into the very exciting, which most people are waiting for, the breaking of the glass. Now, I'll tell you the last thing, since you probably haven't looked down any notes yet. Some say that this is symbolic of the last time that the groom ever gets to put his foot down. <laughs> that, may be a, that may be a new one for you. I think. We all know. We all knew. We all probably know some of the other reasons as to why the uh, the groom will break. This one you get into all kinds of explanations as to what the breaking of the glass is about. Um, so the breaking of the glass. You know, once a glass is shattered, it's never going to go back the way it was before. It's always going to be different. In the same way, so shall the lives of these two people. I kind of like that. Now, is that the reason for it? I really don't think so, probably. Uh, some will say that, well, we're all joyful and we're all happy, and someone says, hey, I need your attention. Yes, we're happy, but we need to remember there's sorrow in the world, and specifically the temple is destroyed and so forth, and we need to remember that at this, at this joyful occasion. It's kind of a party pooper kind of a thing. Um, the other one, which actually may be more, I'm more convinced that it may actually be this one, has to do with um, evil evil forces, evil spirits that are scared off at this time. Um, this is, um, in, it says in Talmudic and medieval times it was thought that demons came from the north. We all know that, right? Poor Kyle's That's where the demons come from. We all know that. So a custom, and this is a real custom. I mean, this, this is a real custom. Now, it wasn't at the wedding necessarily, I don't think, but the uh, basic, well, actually it was the wedding. The idea is that they took a glass that the bride and groom had drunk from and threw it against the northern wall, shattering it. And that was seen as an attack against the demons. And the sound would be something that would frighten them. Um, and it's also said that this is kind of the origin of why church bells are rung uh, at, the, at the end of a, a, of a you know, non-Jewish wedding to ward off evil spirits that might be lurking around. Isn't that why they say, bless you if you sneeze? Yeah, I mean, to me this one, I mean... Very well, it sounds more likely than the other ones, quite frankly. But um, again, I like the idea that the, of the irreversibility of, of the marriage, and not in a negative way, but in a positive way. Um, the notice of sobriety, I don't like the party poop, but again, this is just my personal feeling because you're going to read these all of these kind of, of uh, interpretations of it. Yes, um, just a correction here it's not 19 to 20 in Isaiah 2, it's oh, 21 to 22. That's what Michael said originally, yeah. I don't want to doubt you. Well, it depends on which version you have. I have to tell you what you have Well, it could, be, it could be the Hebrew versus the English. I haven't looked. Yeah, yeah this is the TLV, so I don't yeah. know if it's different. Yeah, he said 21, 22, and you said 19. I don't remember. No, I'm saying it's 21, 22. Yeah. He has 19 to 20. Gotcha. It could, that could be the... Uh, but the then mom. I don't know where they're skipping. Oh, he's made of the... No, I think he's made of mistake. Christians and Jews, they just get it right. So those are the... Those are the, what do you call it, the, the things surrounding the glass, again, which most people know about the glass. And some will just state emphatically, this is what it means. Just to remind us of the temple. And some will say, you know, something just isn't. No one's really probably talking. In, like, uh, in, in my wedding, I, I, we put little explanations as to what the different things were. I don't, I don't know if I knew about the demon thing at that time, but I wouldn't have put that anyways, probably. I would have put the irreversibility of marriage or to remind us of the, you know, that the temple's no longer restored, there's no longer standing or whatever. Um, but that's you're definitely going to see going to see the breaking of the glass. So those are um, those are the kind of the, the elements of a Jewish wedding. I do want to talk about some of the things that, that Kasdan, since you haven't read it, it's good, Joanne. I think I'm going to read a few things from Kasdan um, that I think are really good with regard to some of the applications for us, or some of the things to consider about. But are there any questions about some of the stuff we've talked about so far? You know, what about the lifting of the veil? What's that? The lifting of the veil. Yeah. In fact, the, the putting on of the veil and lifting the veil is very, you probably know, what do you think that's about? Oh, well, when Jacob was surprised by uh -huh. Leah in yeah. the morning, he, he, exactly. he didn't get that opportunity to exactly. see. Exactly. So we better check this out first to see who this is. <laughs> so that, that's, 
That's about the, the standard, actually the one that has kind of a standard explanation as to why that, that is what I read. I didn't read multiple interpretations of that one, but that's pretty standard. Isn't it? Probably the, the origin of that is exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Make sure you got what, you got what you're expecting. Who's right? in there? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read a few things that, that stood out to me in this uh, in, in book. Now I'm on page 60. I'm going to be going like between pages 60 and 63. So you can just listen if you'd like, or you can if you want to follow, I'm starting at the top of page uh, 60. Um, and this is something you know, you know the book link, or you, any book with you, you can just listen. I, um, I have a, I think I have a copy, it? Okay. but it's not with me. So, so talking about, this is, this is in the section on the betrothal period. Um, it says, now that the two parties have agreed to partake of the um, Ebrusim, which is the betrothal portion, blessings under the chuppah, they are as good as married. True, they are not to live together yet, but the promise is so that to make sure that it would take a religious divorce. This, the seriousness of it is so serious that if they were to break it off at this point, it wouldn't be like, here's your ring back, you know, that kind of thing. It would be like, they would have to get an official, legal, what's called a get, which is a, a Jewish divorce uh, decree, certificate. So it's that serious in order to nullify this, this contract. Um, in addition, the get is an option available only to the husband. The lesson is clear from the Jewish wedding. True believers are eternally secure in Messiah's covenant because we cannot break it. And he, and he says he never will. So when we look at the parallels between, because obviously the picture in the New Testament is we are the bride and Yeshua is the bridegroom. So we can take these pictures and realize just how serious when there's a promise that Yeshua is coming to get us, just like the promise that the groom is coming to get the bride. And it, it's so serious. You know, if we look at the seriousness of what it means in the Jewish wedding, it's just as instructive to us as believers. On Yeshua. It says, It is an incredible blessing to know that those who believe in Yeshua the Messiah have entered with him into the engagement period according to the Jewish understanding as defined by this betrothal, betrothal time. Uh, the preparation of a future home fits with the teaching of Yeshua. The Messiah was trying to comfort his disciples concerning his impending death and departure from the earth by talking about this. He says in John 14, Don't let yourselves be disturbed. Trust in God and trust in me. In my Father's house, there are many places to live. If there weren't, I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Since I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'll return to take you with me, so that where I am, you may also be. Yeshua, our heavenly bridegroom, has taken the first vows with his new covenant bride, that is, Jews and Gentiles who call on his name. He is now fulfilling his responsibility of preparing a special home for his wife to be. So again, very much parallels the except, you know, what's understood in portions or uh, pieces of a, of a Jewish wedding. Now, the bride also had her preparations during the one-year betrothal period. She consecrated herself by her pure life and prepared holy garments for the upcoming marriage. So again, you can see a parallel there. I mean, I talked, it had, some of that had to do with the, the mikvah, the immersion, and so forth, for her to be prepared um, for that day. So the believers in Yeshua, as his espoused bride, are to consecrate themselves and keep their spiritual lives pure in preparation for that second cup, second cup, that consummation cup. The last 2,000 years have been the betrothal period between the Messiah and his bride. So that's all what's, what Kazdin talks about in his the betrothal section, which I thought was really good. Um, when we talk, when we get to the, uh, the next section, he says, the groom could only come for his bride after the father had given the command. Again, we kind of see that, that same picture in Thessalonians, where the Lord what will come. Well, page 62 now, so I'll, I'll, yeah, on top of 62. I'm, I'm just kind of jumping around. So down uh, below the Thessalonians passage, it says, This prophetic event, this is the first Thessalonians 4, 16-18, um, this prophetic event, commonly called the rapture, the catching up of believers, is perfectly illustrated within the Jewish wedding ceremony. Then over on page 63, after the Revelation passage, it says that the Jewish wedding ceremony is God's appointed custom to remind believers in Yeshua of the great things to come in Messiah's kingdom. And this is this is where you know the, the the wedding feast of the Lamb, because certainly you know the, the Jewish wedding, uh, uh, any wedding really, but certainly uh, there's there's feasting and there's celebration. It's part of it as well. I think I gave a scriptural passage for that um, in Genesis 29 verses 23 to 30. I think this is actually right after. This is the, the um, Rachel and Leah, the marriage, and it says, it says that after the marriage there was a banquet and feast, and that's, that's certainly part of the, of the celebration. We get the uh, first miracle 
So that's everything I wanted that I wanted to, to plan to go over today. Any any thoughts, questions, or anything else people would like to add? Or again, Rabbi Fine would be willing to answer all your questions. Any other thoughts as I went through that? I mean, I think those pictures in pages 60 and 63 are pretty powerful. I mean, sometimes you have to make a stretch to kind of, you know, like you hold up a matzah and it's striped and pierced like the Messiah. Mm. It is striped and pierced. Is that because it was a foreshadowing? Has all matzah always looked like that? I, I, I don't, it means some of those things are stretches. I think that the Jewish wedding, and some of the things in the Passover, other parts of the Passover, are pretty symbolic, um, pretty pretty graphic of a um, picture of our life as believers and so forth. Yes? Well, um, in the wedding, um, you know, prior to the, to, prior to the marriage, the, um, the couple goes, Not when you're in love. See, that's the difference. I mean, I, I, you talk about the the um, 
there's an illustration I gave one time at a wedding, and it's to the, the you know, the, they call it the Oriental, whatever, the non-Western view of marriage versus the Western view of marriage. The Western view is, is all this, you know, it's like a boy, you, you put the, put the pot on the boiling, the, the, the stove is boiling, it's a boiling pot of water when they get married, you know, and over time, it, the stove's off and it just kind of cools, cools down, versus this picture of marriage is the, the, the pot's put on the stove, they get married, and then the heat's turned up, then it's turned up over time. It's very different, it's a completely different view, um, and it's not so archaic, it's not so ancient. I wish I knew more, I mean, I think I was blessed, I was fortunate to have a good marriage, I think I have a good wife. Proverbs, uh, one of my favorite Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs uh, 19, verse 14. Um, it says, house and wealth are inherited from parents. Okay, house and wealth are inherited from parents. But a prudent wife, I'll just take that as a good wife, is from the Lord. And I think that was, I mean, I think that I was blessed with that, but that's, I think, what, what we should want um, for sure, because most people aren't thinking about that. They're thinking that you know, you're, we're entering things backwards. You yeah. Time, would you mind closing this? Or? No, I don't mind. Okay. Lord, uh, thank you for how your word provides needed instruction for different phases and different seasons of life. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to walk with us through all of them. faithfulness through the ups and downs and and uh, thank you Lord for the awesome symbolism of marriage and how that reflects on our relationship with you and we pray that you would uh, give us uh, strength and that confidence within us that we are precious to you steps and protect us as we head home and bring us back together again uh, prepared to worship you and